0: I grew up in a part of the world where we just never, never had tornadoes, right Never we, really, I'm seriously, never, never knew of tornadoes. Now, uh, I did grow up in the part of the world where last night I was listening to the hockey game at home, and um, they said uh, the temperature last night at home was minus 40, <coughs> minus 40, so always grateful for Texas, even though we have you know tornadoes or whatever, but uh, tornadoes in January. but I just never grew up with tornadoes. My only exposure to tornadoes was on the news, and and uh, hearing that, and and so while Vicky and I were dating, I came to Texas one summer to work here in Texas. And Vicky's mom warned me about tornadoes and how to be prepared, and so she gave me a crash course in tornado survival. And her, I don't remember all that she said, but I do remember this: uh, a tornado will sound like. Yeah, so you guys must have gone to the same school. All right, so I mean, that's all I remember. And so I was on a roofing crew, and we we're building custom homes and putting on these custom roofs and cutting in the rafters, and the storm clouds started blowing in. The sky was turning black. The clouds were moving in a—I thought they were moving in a circular rotation. And so we had to get off the roof and, you know, load up all the tools, get off the job site. And I went to the place where I was staying. I called Wanda. Wanda, are we having a tornado? And she said, nah, I think it's a thunderstorm. What's the difference? <laughs> you know? And so she had put the fear of tornadoes into my life, right? Now, a little side note this about this, and I didn't ask Vicky about this, so I may need lunch after church. Uh, uh, we bought our first house in Wisconsin, and <laughs> we bought our first house in Wisconsin, and across the street from our home was... Uh, the commuter line that connected Chicago to Milwaukee. And so we move in the house in July, and one of our first nights there, in the middle of the night, a train goes roaring down the train, and Vicky goes flying out of bed. It's a tornado! It's a tornado! <laughs> it was the commuter train. But my wife, uh, she was well prepared for the tornado. And the point is this. There are storms in life. And maybe the storms that we're most familiar with are the weather storms that we frequently have here in Texas, right? Rainstorms, thunderstorms, hailstorms, tornadoes, other parts of the world, hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, Australia, forest fires. Storms in the natural realm that can be costly, devastating, destructive, even deadly. And yet there are storms that come into our lives in the personal realm that have spiritual roots and implications. Spiritual roots and implications, trials, trouble, pain, betrayals, death, unfaithfulness, grief, loss, addictions, injustice, abuse, and we can go on. And how do we survive these storms that come into our lives. And so as I was praying over the start of this year about what is it that God would have us begin 2020 considering, uh, you know, this, as I shared last week, just a vision for 2020 is what is it that God wants for us? I think one of the things that God wants us to know and learn is how do we survive the inevitable storms of life? Someone said this, that All of us are in one of three places. We're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. So how do we survive storms? As I was praying over the year, uh, at the start of the year, uh, I was reading in Mark's Gospel in December, and the Lord spoke to me uh, during this devotional time, my devotional time there, this passage. The phrase that leapt off the page, there's one of the verses there in verse 48. It says that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. The, life, the, the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. My thoughts went to think, what an apt metaphor that is for life, is it not? What an apt metaphor. Straining to stay above the water because the winds of this world are against you. ever feel that? You're just trying to stay atop of the water because it seems like there's so many things out of the blue that can come up against you. And so let's read this passage this morning concerning what God is saying to us about storm survival, storm survival. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. We're going to read down to verse 52. I hope you have a copy of God's Word. If not, on the screen behind me, Um, hopefully I have the same translation this week. I can't remember if i I, didn't ch- I don't know if I checked it or not. Anyways, here we go. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass, them by, pass by them, but, they, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the lo- their loaves, their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. And so before we look into this passage, what the Bible has to say about the surviving storms, let's just consider briefly a few moments, characteristics of storms, characteristics of the storms. I was thinking about the disciples that day, right, that night. They're in the boat. The wind was howling. Uh, rain was probably, you know, rain in buckets. There's probably thunder and lightning like we had on Friday night. These guys were drenched, tired, exhausted, working in this uh, boat, just trying to get to the other side. Uh, they were just trying to survive. They were just trying to reach the other side. That's, that was their goal. We want to get to the other side. Uh, thinking about that. I was thinking, another apt description of life. How many times do we approach life and think, man, if I can just get to the other side? You know? I am ready for heaven. Anybody with me? We're just just trying to get to the other side. What are the storms like? Why are storms so troubling? Four characteristics of storms. Number one, storms are confusing. Confusing. Storms are confusing. Um, Verse 45, the Bible says, Mark tells us, that Jesus made, that is, he constrained his disciples to get into the boat. Now think about that. The disciples found themselves in the middle of the night in a storm because Jesus sent them out onto the lake. Didn't Jesus know? Why would he send them into the storm? The disciples were in the storm not because they disobeyed Jesus. The disciples were in the storm because they obeyed Jesus. Let me think, about, think about that. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 on the hillside with five loaves of bread, two fish, People wanted to make Jesus king. Jesus knew it wasn't his time yet to be made king. And so he sent, he constrained his disciples. Now, think about the disciples for a moment that night. What would have their disobedience gotten them? Had they chose to disobey Jesus, they may have had a full stomach, they may have had a warm bed. They may have been able to sit outside around a campfire with their gracious hosts, regaling their hosts about who Jesus is and what he had done. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their disobedience could have been a whole lot better than their obedience. But these disciples were in the storm because of their obedience, and as far as they could tell, Jesus wasn't around. No Jesus, no help from heaven. Storms have a way of confusing us, don't they? Lord, I thought this was your will. Lord, I'm trying to do what you wanted me to do. Why, why is this happening? Lord, is there, as far as I know, Lord, there's no sin, unconfessed sin in my life. What is going on? Storms have a way of being confusing. Contrary. Second characteristic of of a storm is storms are contrary. Verse 48 says that the winds were against them. I I like that word, contrary. We, We use that word sometimes with our kids, don't we? Why are you being so contrary? What do we mean? Why are you against everything? Why are you being so difficult? Why are you being so hard? Storms are like that, aren't they not? They're, they're contrary. They're not easy. The Bible says that Jesus had sent the disciples, in verse 45, to Bethsaida. Bethsaida's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, near the city of Capernaum. But we're going to see, in, well, we're not going to get to it, but in verse 53, in the morning, they find themselves in Gennesaret, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. They're supposed to go north. They end up in the west side. What happened? The storm. Storms were contrary. Storms were pushing them in a way that was contrary to the direction of Christ. They were being buffeted by these waves. They were and oftentimes storms begin to push us in ways that, that we believe are contrary to the will of God and to the purposes of God. We want to serve God, we want to follow God, but the storms push us in a different direction. And because they're contrary, storms are exhausting. Exhausting. It says that the Bibles were straining at the oars. That is that they were toiling at the oars. The word here is is, is used to describe um, someone who is just driving at the oars. They're, they're, they're spending every ounce of energy just trying to make progress, just trying to get the other side. I, I can imagine that these guys, seven, eight hours in the middle of the sea, just fighting the wind, just trying to get ahead, and they're not making any progress. Do you ever feel like that? You're not getting ahead in life. It doesn't matter what you do. We're, what you try you're just getting farther off course now you have to use a little bit of imagination right Uh, middle of the night storm tired wet you know exhausted and peter's probably taking charge right hey guys let's do this and and peter's hey do you need to row harder hey stop rowing on that side we got to get the boat turned around and He's given all these orders, right? And I can see, man, if Peter says one more word, I'm going to whack him. He's going over tonight. Nobody's going to miss him. (laughs) Storms have a way of pushing us to our very limits, do they not? Exhausting. And storms are dark, dark. The Bible says in verse 48, it was shortly before dawn. Other translations give us a little bit more clear picture, saying it was in the fourth watch of the night. That is, it was between 3 and 6 in the night, 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. In the darkness of the night, we feel alone. Those who are with us are no better off than us, they can't help. We feel hopeless. We feel lost, and I think a far too common experience, oftentimes in our lives, is that at pain in the midst of the storms, is that in the darkness, heaven seems silent, and prayers remain unanswered. And yet, it was in that dark storm that Jesus came, and in Jesus coming to His disciples, uh, we have. Hope and assurance and perspective and help so that we can survive our storms. Three thoughts I want to leave with you this morning about storm survival. In the storms of life, number one, first thought is this, is that Jesus intercedes for you. Jesus intercedes for you. Go back to verse 46. Having sent the disciples, um, in verse 45, um, away, he's, maybe uh, Jesus even... Uh, Shove the boat off. Hey, guys, it's time to go get into the boat. And and you guys are out. Go. What does Jesus do? Did he find himself a a great restaurant to sit down and go, Man, I need some downtime. I need some me time. Did he find himself a five star hotel? Say, "Man, Man, I need a king size bed with a jacuzzi, a spa. They sit down with a cup of coffee around a campfire and just relax. No, what does the Bible say? Verse 46, and after leaving them, that is the sending the people away as well, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now this week, in one of my commentaries, I was, came across the story of an Old Testament scholar. His name was George Adam Smith. One of the things I like about <coughs> pastors of other yesteryear is they seem to be mountaineers. Right? The, the tallest mountain in Canada was um, hiked and discovered by a Presbyterian pastor in Canada. Right? Just side note. Anyways, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Anyways, let me get back to the illustration. George Adam Smith uh, climbed the, the Whishorn, Uh I don't know if I got the pronunciation there, uh, Mr. Chadwick, above the Zermatt Valley in Switzerland with his guide on a stormy day. Now, this It's next to the Matterhorn up there. And they made their ascent on the sheltered side of the mountain. Right? The other side is very windy. Made the ascent the sheltered side. When they reached the top, Smith was exhilarated that he made the summit. And he wanted to see the view on the other side. So he pops up. And the wind almost blew him over the mountain. And his guide grabbed him. And he says, down on your knees. Down on your knees. You're only safe on your knees. Another metaphor for life, is it not? And though Jesus was one with the Father, he lived in constant prayer. And in times of crisis, he took to the mountain, he took to the garden, and to his knees. The Bible doesn't tell us here what he prayed for, but he went alone to pray. We didn't look at the context of first part of chapter 6 but we can't miss it because the context shapes what is happening here the disciples had just returned from ministering in the villages with Jesus they had poured themselves out they had just received news that John the Baptist had been beheaded the forerunner of Jesus the cousin to Jesus had been martyred Wanting to get away, a time for respite, they took the boat across the Sea of Galilee and when they landed, the crowds were there and instead of being alone with the disciples, Jesus has just spent the day teaching and now he climbs a mountain alone, not to sleep, but to pray. And although the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus prayed for, in the context I think we can be very certain that he prayed for the disciples who were in the middle of that sea facing that storm, and not only that storm, but the storms that would certainly follow and as a result of their following him. Jesus was not only praying for himself and the work that was coming up. John tells us that it was, <coughs> it was near the Passover, not the Passover in which Jesus would be crucified. But the Passover was already in view and all that would entail there with the cross. He was just not praying for himself. He was praying for his disciples. And so, brothers and sisters, I want you to notice this. I want you to know this. I want you to see this. You may find yourself in a storm today, but you're not without help in the storm because Jesus is praying for you. Now that may not seem like much, but we need to not rush past the intercessory ministry of Jesus Christ who is in heaven praying for us, his people. You may feel like you're in a storm with no help, but you have Jesus praying for you. Listen to what the scriptures says. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. For there is one man and one mediator between Let me get that right. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and, and, and us, and that's Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we, we limit the mediatorial work of Christ and just say, well, that was just the cross. That was just what he did then. But it, it's an ongoing ministry. It was accomplished at the cross, but it continues today. In, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus, on the night in which he's going to be uh, betrayed, the night of his arrest, the night of his trial, the, the night of his crucifixion, prior to his crucifixion, with his disciples, he turns to the disciples and he speaks directly to Simon. <coughs> he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon. So that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus here was praying for his disciples, knowing that they were all going to fall away on what was going to happen. But he prayed particularly for Peter that Peter would be able to, uh, we prayed for all of them, but he prayed particularly for Peter that he would be able to strengthen the brothers after their failure. Right? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's able to save completely all those who come to God through him because he lives, present tense, to intercede for them. And so we need to remember this is that when we're in the storm and it feels like heaven is silent and we're alone in that storm, that you're not alone and heaven is not silent that you have an intercessor in heaven who is interceding for you, who is praying for you. And we need to count on this. This needs to be our confidence in the midst of the storm. This needs to be our hope in the storm. This needs to become the anchor for our lives in the middle of the storm. We need to take comfort of this. And as we minister to one another who are going through their own storms, we need to remind our brothers and sisters that they're not alone. that Yes, you're here, you're praying for them, but someone far greater than you is there who is also praying for them, and that is Jesus. And this has to become part of our ministry. Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish preacher who died at the age of 29 in 1843, that was the year of his death, (coughs) short life, short ministry, he said this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And although we cannot hear Christ praying for us in the next room, we know that he is. And so we must not fear anything. In the storm, Jesus is interceding today for you. He's able to save completely those who come to him, to come to God through him. And so you're not without help in the storm. Jesus is praying for you number 2. Jesus takes interest in your condition. Jesus takes interest in your condition. Notice again what it says in verse 48. It's verse 48 says what? He saw the disciples. He saw the disciples. Jesus saw who? The disciples. And notice what Jesus saw about the disciples. He saw first the wind that was against them. He saw the wind that was against them. Jesus is neither unaware nor indifferent to the conditions that are bearing upon you. He sees, he knows, he takes interest in your condition. You say, what is against, I ask you, what is against you today? The doctor's report, the diagnosis, your partner, your employer, your child, the circumstances of your life. What we need to know is this, is that whatever, um, whatever we are facing, Jesus is greater. We need to know that. We need to believe this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to remind ourselves of this, that whatever I'm facing, Jesus is greater. I've given you these verses before, but um, these verses need to be anchor verses in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Romans chapter eight, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not along um, with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so we need to live by faith and confidence in that, that yes, there's a storm, but in the storm, Jesus sees what is against me. And if, he is get, if it is against me, he is greater than that. Right? First uh, John chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, John writes, he says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is, in, who, is in, who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. And so we need to believe this. I think of the servant of Elisha who woke up one morning went outside the tent and he looked and he saw that the armies of Assyria were surrounding the city and he ran back into the tent and he said, Elisha, we're surrounded, we're dead. And I like what the scripture says in verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Don't be afraid, the prophet said. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open the eyes, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Jesus sees the storm, but you and I need to see the one who is behind the storm, beyond the storm. Jesus the one who is greater. Jesus not only saw the wind but he saw their strain. He says that he saw that they were straining at the oars. He sees not only your toil, your heartache, your fear, your exhaustion, your weakness. He sees that. He takes an interest in your condition. Not only When you're in the storms of life are you not without help? Jesus is not indifferent to your plight. He takes interest in you. Finally, Jesus intervenes for you. Jesus intercedes. He takes interest. Number three, Jesus intervenes for you. Look again at the text. What does it say? Shortly before the dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him. They were terrified, and immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I." A couple of thoughts. So how does Jesus intervene? Number one, Jesus meets you in the storm. Jesus meets you in the storm. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus walked out to them on the water and it appeared that he was about to pass by them, pass by them, I think the danger that we face, the danger that, is, um, that threatens us is that we often miss Jesus when he comes out to meet us in the storm. We miss Jesus when he comes to meet us in the storm. And so I want to challenge us This morning, to begin asking ourselves the question when we find ourselves in the storms of life How is Jesus coming to me in this storm? How is Jesus coming to me in this storm? Let's just think about that. How does Jesus come to us in the storm? Maybe, maybe in the storm, Jesus is revealing to you um, your limitations. And how you need to depend, live in greater dependency upon him. Never easy, never fun, always necessary. Maybe it's in the storm that Jesus is revealing a character flaw or a, a secret sin or a spiritual stronghold in our lives that we have yet to deal with, reckon with, surrender to him. Again, we like to hold on to those areas in our lives. And so the storm becomes the catalyst for God to do a deep work in our hearts and our lives. Maybe it's in the storm that you have lived your life with a, maybe a, uh, you, you have, you, you've lived your life where you've been able to put Jesus in a box. I have Jesus in my Sunday box or I have Jesus in my religious box and then I have the rest of my life. And it's, this is my domain. This is Jesus' domain. And in the storm, Jesus is calling you to a greater intimacy with him How is Jesus coming? And so many times we're we're just like, we want to get out of the storm and we miss what Jesus wants to do in the storm. How is Jesus coming to you in the storm? Maybe he's calling you to a greater life of service or ministry or obedience or dedication and the storm becomes the vehicle. How is Jesus coming to you in the storm? Fred Luter, who was a pastor in New Orleans, after hurricane Katrina devastated that city, said this to his congregation and to the city. Always remember that when the storms show up, so does the Savior. Always remember that when the storms show up, so does the Savior. So how is Jesus coming to you in the storm? Number two. Uh, Jesus speaks to you during the storm. I'm going to skip that verse there, John. Thank you. Je- um, Je- Jesus speaks to you during the storm. Notice it says that Jesus spoke to them in the storm. He spoke, um, the Bible says he spoke immediately, right? And he, calmed, uh, and, and he spoke to their, he spoke immediately and, and, and addressed their need, right? Take courage. He spoke directly and identified himself. It is I. One comment, I can't remember where I read it this week, but somewhere I read it. It was as if Jesus was saying, I am is here in the storm. Take courage, it is I. He spoke pertinently and um, addressed their need. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so in the storms of life, we need to ask ourselves a question. Am I listening? Am I listening to what Jesus is trying to say to me in the storm? And then, so Jesus um, comes to us in the storm. Jesus speaks to us in the storm. Number three, um, Jesus sees you through the storm. Jesus sees you through the storm. Jesus didn't stay on the mountain praying. Jesus didn't not only walked on the water um, showing his power and authority over the storm, But Jesus got into the boat with the disciples and the Bible says that the storm became calm. John tells us in his account in John chapter 6 of this miracle that they were immediately at the shore. And I think what we need to recognize here is is that Jesus sees us through the storm. I don't know how long the storm is going to last. I don't know how long or how intense the storm is going to be. I don't even know what the outcome of the storm is going to be I just know this is that Jesus will see his people through the storm Jesus will see his people through the storm the venerable commentarian um, Matthew Henry the Puritan commentator, uh, commentator said this the ship that has Christ in it though it may be tossed cannot sink I like that The ship that has Christ in it, though it might be tossed, cannot sink. Psalm 23, verse 4. Uh, Listen to this verse. The the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. psalm. We, We know it. Many of us have it memorized. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though, as the King James Version says, even though I walk through the valley of what? Shadow of death and evil. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil, not because I'm not going to go through the valley, the darkest valley. I'm not going to fear evil because I'm not going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. No, I'm not going to fear evil in the valley. I'm not going to fear in the valley because you are with me. You are with me. And so the testimony of Scripture, Psalm 23, verse 4. The testimony of the saints who have gone before us. The testimony of this miracle is that Jesus will see us through the storm. And he speaks to us and he says, take courage, it is I. Have no fear. Where I want to end this morning is I just want to end with verses 51 and 52. They, the disciples, were completely amazed, astonished. Why? For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. I don't think the disciples' hearts were hardened in the storm, in the boat. Their hearts were hardened on the mountainside. They missed what was happening there on the mountainside. The miracle was taking place. The, the 5,000 men plus women and children were being fed. Five loaves, two fish. They missed it. Their hearts were insensitive, unresponsive, and they were unprepared for the storm that was about to come. And so the thought that I want us to to just think about is this, is too many times we have a small faith in a big God and we're left unprepared for the future. So don't miss what God is saying. Don't miss how Christ is coming. Don't miss what God is doing in the middle of the storm today for it is preparing us for a future that is yet to be written.